515 in the Black Bibles that you were handed when you came in this morning. First, please join me in a prayer for illumination. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find wisdom, and in your will discover your peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Proverbs 8. Does not wisdom call, and does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights, beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries out, To you, O people, I call, and my cry is to all that live. O simple ones, learn prudence, acquire intelligence, you who lack it. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth, wickedness is an abomination to my lips." All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to one who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, live with prudence, and I attain knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have good advice and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. By me, rulers rule, and nobles, all who govern rightly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. This is the word of the Lord. As a seminary student, I had a class on Old Testament literature that included the book of Proverbs, and one of the assignments that the professor gave us was to write an outline of the book of Proverbs. Now, if you've ever tried to read the book of Proverbs, you know that the Proverbs don't really come in any kind of order. Uh, Therefore, I concluded that this professor was just messing with us students, and uh, so I went to the store. And I bought a glass jar, and then I photocopied the the book of Proverbs, and I cut out each individual proverb into a little thin strip, and I put it inside the jar. And and then when it came time to turn in our assignments, uh, as as all the other students brought their their papers forward for for our teacher and and left them uh, on the desk, I came up with my glass jar, set it down, my outline, sir. Now, now, mostly this shows you what kind of a student I was, you know, a real pain in the neck uh, for teachers. Uh, but it also shows that I, I didn't really understand then 
how the, the book of Proverbs is designed. Because as the professor went on to show me, uh, the book of Proverbs does have a very intentional design. Chapters 1 to 9 of this book, uh, before you get to the individual Proverbs uh, from chapters 10 to 31, uh, are a, a long introduction. Really, they're, they're intended, this, this introduction in 1 to 9 is intended to help us understand how to read all the other little Proverbs in order to grow in wisdom. And in these chapters, we hear primarily two voices. First, uh, the voice of a father speaking to his son about the importance of finding wisdom. We heard the, the father's voice last week in Proverbs 2. And second, we hear the voice of wisdom personified as a woman. And that's what we heard this week in Proverbs 8 as we continue in this this summer series through Proverbs, that the Father's teaching shows that wisdom is not just an abstract knowledge, but a skill. You can memorize Proverbs, but that's not enough to be wise. You need to be skilled at using wisdom, especially when there's not a clear right or wrong way to go. We saw last week that biblical wisdom is not simply following tradition, nor is it following your heart. It's a confident humility in God's ways that allows you to listen to others and to step out and take personal risks. So as we look at at Proverbs 8 today, we see another angle on wisdom. Yes, wisdom is a skill, but to have wisdom is more than mastering a skill. This chapter invites us to think about wisdom in terms of a relationship with a person. And we learned three things today from this portrayal of wisdom. First, we learn about the challenge of wisdom. Second, we see the offer of wisdom. And third, we hear the promise of wisdom. Let's look at each one of these. The challenge of wisdom, the offer of wisdom, and the promise of wisdom. First, the challenge of wisdom. Have you ever tried to look at the back of your head? It's tough, right? And you can only do it by setting up mirrors in, in the right way to, to see what's there. Well, wisdom is kind of like this. When you're wise, you're able to see the back of your head. Well, not literally, but, but you know things that are subtle and often hidden about the way the world works, about people, and mostly about yourself. You know that you have blind spots and weaknesses, and that in order to live life successfully, you're going to need help. Wisdom brings that help. That's why in Proverbs 8, wisdom is portrayed as a woman walking through the streets of a city. And she goes everywhere, from the city's heights, to the crossroads, to the gates, The gates of an ancient city were the heart of the city's social life, like a cross between a a farmer's market and a courthouse. Maybe not that different from uh, what we have down here on the square on Saturdays. And wherever she goes, wisdom speaks. To you, O people, I call, and my cry is to all that live. O simple ones, learn prudence. Acquire intelligence, you who lack it. 
Literally, this, this last phrase, acquire intelligence, uh, we could translate, put some sense in your heart. Uh, she's talking about something much broader than just IQ here. Put some sense in your heart. The, the challenge of wisdom is to accept that we need help seeing the back of our head and to listen to the, the words that wisdom offers in the hustle and bustle of everyday life. This isn't an easy thing. A few years ago, there was a story widely reported in the media about a highly regarded professor of theoretical physics at the University of North Carolina. And this professor was tenured, well-published, brilliant. But in 2012, he was arrested in Buenos Aires after trying to bring a suitcase with 2,000 grams of cocaine onto an airplane at the request of a Czech bikini model uh, whom he had come to believe was his soulmate. He later claimed to have been the victim of an elaborate internet scam. But whether his breaking the law was, was intentional or not, his, his folly quickly became clear and he ended up going to prison. And many people tried to grasp how someone so smart could also be so dumb. The New York Times Magazine wrote, as the professor tells it, his life is one unbroken line of impressive grades, advanced degrees, and innumerable citations of his work in cosmology and physics. There is certainly much truth to this. But then there is also his tendency to transfer his professional accomplishments to his personal life. This tendency is sometimes true of its all, and this is one of the main reasons we don't listen to wisdom when she speaks. We're strong in one area of our lives. It may be our professional accomplishments, or that we're good with people, or we're financially savvy. But whatever it is, we rely on this strength to cover our other weaknesses. But the truth is, as Walker Percy said, you can get all A's and still flunk life. Wisdom is a relationship because it's, just, it's, it's not just a matter of downloading information. If you want to be wise, you've got to be willing to examine yourself, to get help seeing your blind spots, and to welcome criticism. This is the challenge of wisdom. So what does wisdom offer to meet this challenge? Well, we see three things in Proverbs 8 today. First, wisdom brings insight into the way life works. She says that if you get her, you get prudence, which is living life with deliberate care and common sense. You get knowledge, discretion, good advice, Insight, all the things that lead you to, to avoid taking a package of cocaine onto a plane in Buenos Aires. Everything you need for, for living life well. Second, later in the chapter, wisdom is described as the, the architect of God's creation. So wherever things are going truly well, God's wisdom is there. This means that wisdom has the potential to be accessed by anyone not just Christians or readers of the Bible. 
Wisdom can say in verses 15 and 16, by me kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me rulers rule and nobles, all who govern rightly. In a pluralistic society, Christians can't and and shouldn't expect their political leaders to necessarily share their religious beliefs, but they should ask if those leaders are wise. Finally, wisdom is not hidden in secret. It's not only for the smart or the elite. This, to me, is the best news about wisdom. The, The picture that we see here is not of Proverbs hidden away somewhere and and people scrambling all over the city trying to find her. The picture is of wisdom scrambling to find the people who need her. And wisdom's offer is open and free and for all. If this is true, why don't we listen to wisdom more often? Consider what wisdom says in in verses 10 and 11. Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. This is a, a motif that runs throughout Proverbs. Wisdom is more valuable than anything else you can find. And if you don't value wisdom... It's because something else is more precious in your eyes. It may be money, but it it could be any number of things. Your reputation, your security, your appearance, your control. And when you desire anything more than God's wisdom, it becomes an idol. and, And rather than you controlling it, it will inevitably control you. Theologian N.T. Wright puts it like this. One of the primary laws of human life is that you become like what you worship. What's more, you reflect what you worship, not only back to its object, but also outward to the world around. Those who worship money increasingly define themselves in terms of it and increasingly treat other people as creditors, debtors, partners, or customers rather than human beings. Those who worship sex define themselves in terms of it, their preferences, their practices, their past histories, and increasingly treat other people as actual or potential sexual objects. Those who worship power define themselves in terms of it and treat other people as either collaborators, competitors, or pawns. Proverbs puts this same truth in the language of love and hate in verses 13 and 17 of of chapter 8. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. And she says, I love those who love me. Last week, we talked about how the fear of the Lord is is not an emotional terror, but a sense of reverence and awe before God. And the same is, is true here for this language of love and hate. My former professor here at the UW, Michael Fox, puts it this way in his commentary on Proverbs. He says, Love and hate are not two emotions among many. They are polar mindsets that define the basic shape of a person's character. If you want to be wise, 
You have to ask, what loves and hates are shaping my character? In other words, where is my heart? Earlier, we said that wisdom is like a mirror that helps you see the back of your head. It may be more like the mirror that we see in in Harry Potter in the Room of Requirement. When someone looked into this mirror, they saw their heart's deepest desire. Harry sees himself with his family. Ron sees himself as as a head boy holding the Quidditch cup. Harry loved what he saw in this mirror so much that he kept going back to to sit before it for hours, gazing into it, until Dumbledore warns him that people have starved to death this way. He tells Harry, men have wasted away before it, not knowing if what they have seen is real or even possible. Wisdom is a, a similar kind of test. What is your heart's deepest desire? What's driving you down, deep down? What do you worship? And can this object of your desire bear the weight of your life? Or is it a mirage? So we've talked about the, the challenge of, of humbling ourselves to receive wisdom. We've talked about wisdom's offer to, to meet our deepest needs. Finally, let's talk about wisdom's promise to us. Some of you here today may be saying, I I know my need of wisdom, but I'm just not sure I can find the wisdom that I I really need. You may be wrestling with a heart-wrenching decision, or you're facing disappointment or, or discouragement. You may feel that no matter how hard you try, things aren't working out for you as you had hoped. It can be discouraging to be in a place where you're looking for wisdom and you're having a really hard time finding it. Or perhaps you're deeply aware of foolish decisions that you've made, decisions that are impossible to undo, and you're wondering, is there any hope for you here today? The answer is yes. I can say that because of the promise we hear in verse 17. Wisdom says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. If we're to have a relationship with God's wisdom, we must trust her and move towards her just as she has moved towards us. Thomas Merton models this kind of vulnerable trust in a prayer. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think that I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. And I hope that I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, will I trust you always? Though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Often, 
We don't trust God like this because we're afraid. We're afraid that he will leave us alone, that he's not really for us, that he doesn't have our best intentions at heart. But if Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God's wisdom, then we don't have to be afraid. This is what the New Testament claims, of course. In in 1 Corinthians 1, the Apostle Paul says that Christ Jesus has become for us wisdom from God. In Colossians 2, he says that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Why did Paul identify Jesus with God's wisdom? In a way, Jesus' life could not have appeared more more foolish, both in the first century and, and today. He had no money, he had no career, no children, he died a painful death on the cross. Where's the wisdom here? It's in what he accomplished through his death and his resurrection. If you believe that Jesus died for your sins on the cross, then you can navigate the most difficult things in life with the kind of humble confidence that's at the heart of wisdom. The cross humbles you because it says that the Son of God had to die in order to save you. But the cross also empowers you and gives you confidence because it says that the Son of God was willing to die for you. He loves you that much. This is the good news that can sustain you even in times of uncertainty, of grief, of confusion. You can be confident that he is with you, that he will never leave you or forsake you because he's been willing to enter the deepest and the darkest place for you. The activist and advocate for the poor and and disenfranchised, uh, Dorothy Day, once wrote to a friend about her attempt to write an autobiography. She wrote, I try to think back. I try to remember this life that the Lord gave me. The other day, I wrote down the words, a life remembered. And I was going to try to make a summary for myself, write what mattered most. But I couldn't do it. I just sat there and thought of our Lord. And I said to myself that my great luck was to have had him on my mind for so long in my life. If you have an attitude like this, you're on the path of wisdom because you'll be satisfied, not by what's on your CV or by what's in your bank account or even by what other people say about you. You'll be satisfied to know that that God is with you in Christ. And when you believe this, when you trust him, you'll find wisdom in even the most difficult circumstances. Jesus himself says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who docks, the door will be opened. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are humbled by the knowledge that you are God, and we are not, and so we thank you for sharing your wisdom with us in your creation, 
in your word, and most especially in the person and work of your son. Would you give us confidence to follow him in, in every area of our lives, whatever that looks like for each one of us in our various callings and responsibilities? Would you help us to trust that you love us unconditionally, that you desire good things for us, and you have promised to give us what we need to follow you? We pray that you would provide for us. We trust that you will because we see uh, that you have provided in the deepest possible way uh, in the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so we give him thanks and praise today. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.